the twelfth man. You know, go Hawks! Have you been paying any attention at all? It's football season! Come on. Got to be all excited about the Seahawks. It's The twelfth man is football's greatest hype. Cowboys, whatever. Cowboys have twelfth man too. You know, they'll... I was, when I grew up, a Vikings fan. Not that I knew anything about football, but I just thought Vikings were cool, so I'll get out. So, <laughs> I've never actually watched a football game from beginning to end in my life. I used to be at University of Tulsa when Steve Largent was there. I always wondered why we won 100 points in one game. I mean, football, are you kidding me? I never even knew that until I, he retired and somebody said he went to the University of Tulsa. And I said, he did? And my son said, Dad, I've been telling you this for years. He went there the same time you were there. Oh, really? <laughs> Didn't know that. Anyway, so I played in the band. I mean, the only reason you have football is so the band can play, right? I mean, that's why you have football. So I didn't realize that people came to see these guys sweating out on the field. I mean, why would you do that? But anyway, football. The fan is, the spectator is the big deal. All over Washington, you can see flags with the number 12 emblazoned on it. Uh, in the windows of people's homes, on flagpoles attached to their vehicles. I saw one with eight of them. Four on each side of his pickup. <laughs> going down the road. Twelfth man. Oh, by the way, Mike Hopkins. You ever heard of Mike Hopkins? He's a Seahawks fan. He's an astronaut. And he took a twelfth man flag to the International Space Station. Kid you not. He took it and flew it on the, in the Indian National. No kidding. Got a picture of it and everything. I mean, the 12th man. This is, this is exciting. And I hope I'm not disappointing anybody, but I need to tell you that the 12th man is actually never in the game. <laughs> in case you missed this somehow, he never snaps the ball. He never sacks the quarterback. He never catches a pass to make a touchdown. He never punishes the opponent's receiver. The twelfth man's on the outside. Sorry. (laughs) It's the eleven guys on the field that are doing all the work. The twelfth man is on the outside looking in. He's never in the game. Now, the problem is, a lot of them think they are. (laughs) And they're sure that they know more than those players and coaches do out there. A lot of them think, actually, that they are the game. Okay? Not just in it. But they're not. They're on the outside looking in. And you're thinking, aren't we supposed to be studying the Gospel of John? (laughs) How does this relate? Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we've looked here at this church and other places at the Scripture in so many ways. And for one, we've seen that Jesus didn't serve just because he had to give an example for us, but because it is his nature to serve. This time, let's look at it from a standpoint you may never have even considered. Let's see it from Judas' point of view. (laughs) Uh, You know, Judas? Yeah, Judas, the twelfth man. The one on the outside looking in. Judas thought he was in the game. 
he thought he was the game until it was too late and he realized he was never in the game at all. Let's start right at the beginning. Notice in verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He came into the supper looking for a way to betray Jesus. Wow. And why? Almost certainly he was disgusted by Jesus' refusal to take over political control of the nation. He could have. I mean, that was how Judas was going to get in the game. He would be a world ruler. Obviously, since Jesus didn't know how to play the game right, he would take him out and put himself in. But what was the key that drove him? What finally tipped him over the edge to do this? Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, so they gave a dinner for him there. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Ouch. That has to have hurt. Right in front of everyone, Jesus rebukes him. Now, from Matthew and Mark, we know that some of the other disciples were drawn into Judas' argument and they even scolded Mary. But I left a few little things out of the story that John said about our principal antagonist. And they might shed a little more light. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was their treasurer and a thief. He was really angry because there was less available for him to embezzle. And Jesus calls him out publicly. Have you ever noticed the rage of sinning people when we draw attention to their sin? <laughs> uh, but that's a whole other sermon. Let's go back to Judas on the night of that Passover. Remember what, that Jesus also washed Judas' feet. What was Judas thinking when he did it? For sure he wasn't thinking, what a great king. <laughs> Washing people's feet. Wow. Judas had missed everything Isaiah said about the suffering servant. He had not considered the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection. Why not? Well, he was not thinking about eternal life, but only what he could get in the here and now. Judas was almost certainly repulsed by Jesus' subservient actions. At first, when Peter refused to let Jesus wash his feet, he was probably thinking, I'll say... But what did he think of Peter's enthusiasm for Jesus when Peter dived right in and said he'd fully follow Jesus no matter what, effectively? Now, he should have joined Peter. I don't know what you're doing, Jesus, but I know you and I'm with you. But he didn't. And his resolve to take the game into his own hands was strengthened. When Jesus said to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Did Judas know that Jesus meant him, that he was the one that was not clean? Or did he just think Jesus had heard something and was fishing for information? That's, that's what he'd do, right? Did Judas still think he was in the game? Or did he think he was the game 
that he was just as important as Jesus? Did he think Jesus was just another man, just another guy? Or even clean? Ha! I'm glad I'm not one of you saps. <laughs> well, man, people never really get it. <laughs> They've never actually played the game. You know, hey, I played some high school football. Yeah, I'm sorry. I played high school tennis too. It ain't the pros, people. It's an entirely different thing. You've never really experienced the real thing when you're a 12th man. You don't even know what real players are talking about. Judas couldn't understand Peter's excitement in just being on the team. Partly because he didn't really know the team captain and owner. <laughs> After Jesus washes their feet, he explains it and says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I'm, whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. The truth is, they were all eating bread with Jesus. All of them. But Judas knew he was the one. I wonder, did he think everybody was looking at him? You know how you... You think everybody's staring at you? <laughs> Agatha Christie used to come at that. Would you write a mystery? Everybody know who Agatha Christie is? Yeah, great mystery writer. If you haven't read it, uh, you've got to read Agatha Christie. She writes some great mystery. mystery. She said the solution always seems so obvious when you're writing the book. <laughs> you think everybody's going to get it too early, right? Why does it feel that way to an author? Because they know the answer. <laughs> they already know the answer. So unrepentant, guilty people, they know they're guilty. Uh, they hide it from everybody. They even try to hide it from themselves. But they know. Judas tried to convince himself he was really doing the right thing for the whole nation. Okay, especially himself. But in his heart of hearts, he knew. Especially when Jesus focused on him again. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He must have known that Jesus was going to put him out. I mean, could he have so convinced his mind that he didn't feel guilty? Could he have gone so far that he didn't feel compassion for Jesus' pain? I wonder, does a traitor ever feel compassion? I mean, have you ever seen people who have no compassion? Or did he figure Jesus deserved it? Look at all the time I spent with you, the best three years of my life, and you wasted it! Eventually, in response to John's question, Jesus answers, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus exposed him quietly. Besides those two, only Peter and John knew. But what was Judas thinking? And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do quickly. Understand, Judas didn't have to take the bread. He could have said, no, no, I don't want to betray you. But he did take the bread. And he missed his last chance to follow Jesus. Wow. Was he feeling the sting of discovery? For sure he was angry, vindictive, driven by Satan. No longer able to even keep up appearances or even be near Jesus. Guilty people don't just blame the people that point out their guilt. They want them out of their sight. 
So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And it was night. I don't think John wrote this nocturnal notice just to give us the time of day, but to illustrate the spiritual truth that Judas walked out of the light and into the darkness. From the light of the world to the prince of darkness. Sometimes the Bible is kind of real. <laughs> I mean, aren't you glad? <laughs> hmm. On we go. Since the end of Judas' sad life was well known by the time John wrote, he didn't mention it. So let's read Matthew's account. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and hanged himself. One more chance to repent, really, but he was too obsessed with himself, so he sealed his own fate. Don't think Judas was sorry for being wrong, for the pain he caused Jesus. Allow oh, was he 30 pieces of silver when he should have been a world ruler, you know, fantastically wealthy. <laughs> Don't forget who he was. Basically, he's angry, he's upset, he's mad because he backed the wrong horse. And so he now faces the horrible future of all those who reject the light. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Mmm, the darkness that so many choose to inhabit. I would we inhabit life with them. But I've got some good news for you. <laughs> And no, you terribly distracted 12th man people. It's not that old quip that God is always on the side which has the best football coach. <laughs> Maybe true. But we, those who choose the light, those who choose to follow Jesus, get to share in something else, something wonderful and fantastic and glorious, something eternal. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such that second death has no power. None. Zero. Zip. Uh, pretty exciting. The 11 who were in the game with Jesus in that upper room, they'll all be there with us. Just in case you missed it, this is the part where you do scream. I've never been to a Seahawks game, but my son who likes to go to them says, everybody screams. When you, and it's so loud that your head and your ears feel pressure. And you, he said you can't hear on the drive home hardly. It's so loud. And they're screaming for a game that's going to last a little while and you know, 11 sweaty guys in their team that are trying to either move the ball or stop the ball. I mean, come on. <laughs> this is exciting. This is exciting. Maybe we should look at a few things John wrote about those 11 back there in that upper room. He came to Simon Peter when he's washing the feet, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> yeah, Peter's, Peter's the screamer. Right? <laughs> I just love this guy. <laughs> now first, take note. There is one salvation event, just like the moment at conception when your first life began. That's when you begin. But there will be many subsequent cleansings. You, you need to grow in your spiritual life just like you grew in your mother's womb. 
And also note that Peter did not understand. Uh, in case you haven't figured it out, there will be times when we don't understand. <laughs> Anybody run into that? <laughs> but it's not understanding that is critical. It's relationship. Do you know the one who does understand? Do you love God with all your heart? Do you love those God has placed near you just as Christ loved you? Don't forget that Peter denied Jesus. In fact, cursed him. But Jesus drew him back. Peter was ready to abandon the gospel at one point, but Jesus drew him back. Again and again, Peter made mistakes, but always his gracious Lord drew him back. You need not worry that your mistakes will drive you permanently away from Jesus. If you are His, He will always bring you back. Another thing Jesus told them, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The pain that Jesus will shortly endure, his disciples will to some degree also. We may endure persecution. But if we know these things that Jesus talks about and do them, we'll make it through. Back then, when Jesus was exposing Judas, the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. And remember, they were all eating his bread they all questioned themselves. They all wondered about each other. <laughs> we may sometimes wonder about ourselves and about those near us. And there's this. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Nine of his disciples didn't know what was going on at all, even when Jesus pointed it out. <laughs> And we recognize that there will be times when we think people are trying to do good when, in fact, they are planning evil. That Satan has access to their heart, if you will. And very likely the reverse will be true now and again. So how can we be more sure? Well, I'd say let's be like John. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table close to Jesus, so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple... Leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? John was not just physically close to Jesus. His heart was close to Jesus. If you will, their souls were knit. So he could simply ask Jesus and expect an answer from him. So where is your heart? Is it near Jesus? Is it in your heavenly Father's hand? Listen again to those words of Jesus. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. It wasn't just His disciples back then that needed to hear this. Everybody has trouble. Every church has trouble. This little church has had an inordinate amount of trouble over the years. Uh, do you know why, why we've made it through? Why this church is still here? <laughs> because we and, and all many of those before us, we're listening to the voice of Jesus. They and we have studied His Word diligently. and They and we have prayed fervently. So we know who He is. We believe He is the Son of God. 
we know that he has made us, like those disciples back then, his friends. We must continue these practices so that we are ready when trouble comes again. Uh, anybody? <laughs> yeah, we, we know it will come again. <laughs> that way, since we love him, we will be able to love his. That night long ago, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever. That can be us. We must learn to know with whom we can trust our hearts. And we need to share our hearts with them. And only them. <laughs> I could, in the past, I could share my heart with my parents, but now they're, they're both dead and gone. But I know where my mom's heart is today. <laughs> and I know where my dad's heart is today. It's good for us to contemplate the hearts of those who have gone before us. From this little church, uh, Betty, Lee, Ann, Arlene, Bob, <laughs> and more, all of these jump into my mind. Who do you know that is now with Jesus? Maybe there are some people who aren't sure of anyone in their lives <laughs> who's now with Jesus. I mean, it's shocking, but it's true. It might be good to get to know someone who's likely to see Jesus before you. you know. <laughs> is that a good way to say that? They might help you to see the road ahead. But what about those who are struggling with their hearts here and now? I have a little granddaughter who's ten years old. She's a little cutie. We've hiked together. We've done all sorts of things. But she's very near that time, about that 11 to 12 year old age, where the general direction of our lives is really set. And the truth is, I'm scared to death for her. This world can be a really ugly place. There are people who want to use and abuse that little girl. Satan wants to enter into her heart. So what do I ever do to help her to navigate this life's minefield? And I'm telling you, it's amazing. You're ten, she's happy-go-lucky and screaming that. But every once in a while, you notice the forces of evil are already pounding on her from every side. And already at age 10, the fears and feelings of overwhelming hopelessness, they're kind of like nipping at her heels. And she's aware of them. I know that God is ever with her and always will be, but sometime over the next year ago, I want to share with her this note that I, I began it actually a long time ago. I've been working on it and I probably will for a long time. And after I share it with her, then it won't be long till her little cousin needs to hear it, and my other granddaughters, and then again, not long after that, her sisters. So maybe something in this can help you. So to close, uh, please listen in as I attempt to share my heart with my granddaughter. My dear little one, where is your heart, little one? Oh, isn't it inside me? <laughs> Not the heart that beats and brings life to your whole body as amazing as it is, but the heart that is you, your soul. That heart. The heart that is deep inside you. Where is your heart, little one? It is where no one can touch it but you and God. Your heart is deep, deep inside you. Little one, imagine that you can hold this wonderful thing, your heart, your soul in your hands. Can you see it in your hands? Can you feel the wonder of your soul? 
Look at it closely. I know it isn't perfect. There are some black spots already on it. But doesn't your heart want to be clean? No one can touch your heart, little one, but you and God, unless you let them. Does your heart want to believe that you could be good? Does your heart want to stay away from evil things? Does your heart want to be pure, to be clean? Don't let anyone turn your heart black, little one. Hold on to your heart. Hold on tightly to your heart. Protect your heart, little one. Protect it. Where is your heart, little one? Are you still holding it in your hands? But your hands are so little, so very small. How can you ever hold on so tightly that you can protect your heart? Is there no way to do it? Is there no hope that it can be clean? Yes, there is. As you imagine your heart in your hands, picture Father God right behind you. I want you to imagine that he puts his big arms around you, that he places his kind, strong hands around your little hands. He is so gentle, but so very strong. If you let him put his arms around you, if you let him hold your hands in his, if you let him hold your heart with you, your heart will be safe. It will be more than safe. Remember those black spots on your heart? How can you ever get rid of them? You can't. Truly God and God alone can take all the black spots off your heart. He can make your heart clean again. And if you get any more black spots, He will clean them off too. He alone can do this because He is God. There is no safer place for your heart than in God's hands. Where is your heart, little one? Don't give it to anyone whose heart is dirty. Why would you let them hold your beautiful, clean little heart in their dirty hands? Protect your heart, little one. Only you and God can touch it unless you let them. No matter how ugly life gets, no matter how hard it seems, your heart is still yours. Only you and God can touch it directly. Everyone else has to have your permission. Who will you let touch your precious little heart? Where is your heart, little one? Jesus told his disciples that they were his friends. He also said that they didn't choose him, but he chose them. Why is it so important that he chose us and not we him? Because he's the one with the strong hands. Your little hands are not strong enough to hold your own heart safely, but Jesus decided to hold your heart with you. He decided to be your friend, and he will do it. He will keep your heart safe. Oh, little one, where is your heart? I love you, little one. You are more precious to me than all the world and you are so precious to God that he sent his one and only son so that he could take your little heart and carry it safely to heaven. With all the love that God gives me, I give you my heart and soul, your grandpa. I have to give it to him in written form. <clears throat> I'd never make it through. <laughs> well, that little one he's loved. But do you know that you were loved more than all the world? By the one who made the world. Do you know that Jesus loves you more than his own life? In other words, is your faith that of Peter and John and the other eleven? Ooh, is it with Judas on the outside? Is your heart in the game with Jesus or are you just a spectator looking on but not experiencing the joy Judas didn't have to let Satan put anything in his heart. 
He did. If your heart is not in Jesus' hands, please give it to Him. Today would be a good day. Don't be nothing but a twelfth man, someone on the outside. Jesus can bring you into the game and safely all the way to eternal life. If your heart is in Jesus' hands, then also please give your heart to those whose hearts are likewise His. Those who are in the game, we need your love. And you need ours. Where's your heart? There might be someone you need to say, where is your heart to? <laughs> Please don't stay on the outside. Come on in. Let's pray. Father, we think about the loss. The loss of a person like Judas. Who walked with your son for three years. Saw him do miracles heard his words in person and turned away and gave his heart to Satan. I don't understand. Ah, but I don't have to understand. I do know this, that every living, breathing person can be yours. Any one of us, every person that we see on the street Every person we know, our family, our friends, the people we work with, the people we just run into, go out to eat. Every one of them could be yours. Everyone could be on the inside, not looking on, not not confused about what the game is, but actually understanding. And you made us your hands and your feet. You made us plan A and you have no plan B. So, since we're plan A, we need some help figuring out what we're supposed to do. There's a lot of people we all have in our hearts. I imagine every one of us here can think of a person right now that we would dearly love to have understand. Maybe we don't get to be the one to tell them, but we ask that you bring that about and and again, maybe we will get to be. Help us, Lord, to know how to do that. And help us to know how to protect the younger ones who don't yet understand. Every one of us has somebody younger than us, somebody that doesn't understand as much. Help us to guide them. And thank you for those that help us. And those that have helped us, some of whom are already with you. Thank you, Father, so much. You do more than we deserve for us. In Jesus' name we pray.